0: And next Sunday's menu is actually Taco Sunday. And then also uh, for the missions conference meals, all of that is on the bulletin board back there. And so please go see that and fill those in where it's necessary. And also there are cards that need to be signed, uh, some birthday cards on the ushers table back there. I think there's one for Justin and uh, and Justin George and and, uh, maybe Brother Lambert even. Just go back and look. And if you're inclined to wish them a happy birthday, do so. We also need to have choir practice Uh, today. We're preparing for our missions conference, which, by by the way, is August 21st through the 24th. If you're a guest here, you're more than welcome to be a part of our missions conference. We have two uh, evangelist missionaries and their families will be here uh, for our conference. Brother Scott Kuzel, missionary to South Africa, Brother Seth Richards to Germany. And Sunday, all day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights, we'll have services here August 21st through the 24th and we are preparing for that and so we need to have some choir practice today and on wednesdays as well leading all the way up to missions conference So choir keep that in mind okay and then there's this one other thing i wanted to open up to you uh, regarding uh, the missions conference i always like to try to do something with uh, guest speakers that we have just to help them see a little bit of alaska things like that and it's also a good opportunity for people to Uh, get to know them, and to spend some time with them. And I want to open that up to you uh, as a church. Anybody who is interested in this, uh, you can let me know. But on Thursday, after the missions conference, that's Thursday the 25th, uh, I'm going to be taking uh, both the Kuzels and Brother Richards down to Denali. Uh, We're going to do some whitewater rafting that day. Uh, And some may not really be interested in whitewater rafting. They just kind of want to tool around Denali Village, and find some things to do there, and I'm opening that up to anybody who's interested in doing that, who wanted, who would either like to come whitewater rafting, or who would like to just go on the day trip and just kind of hang out and fellowship uh, with the missionaries and all of that kind of stuff. And so, that's available if you are inclined to do that, you want to do that, you need to see me right away so that I can get all the details worked out uh, and plans made. But I wanted you to know that that's available to you, and. Uh, a good opportunity to get to know our missionaries that we support and to fellowship with them, okay? All right, got that out of the way. And I'll mention that again another time. Philippians chapter 4, and if you've been with us, you know that we are in a series of sermons in this portion of Scripture that I've entitled uh, Finding Calm in a Chaotic World. And... There are six verses here that the Apostle Paul gives us uh, that it culminates with a promise, a promise of God that we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding, that keeps our hearts and our minds through Christ. And our text verses are verses 4 through 9. Let's go ahead and read them. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. This has been the the focal point or this passage right here of this whole series of of lessons or messages on this idea of finding calm in a chaotic world. The main verse that we've highlighted or the main phrase that we've highlighted is really the first phrase of verse 6, where Paul says, Be careful for nothing. That's a hard phrase to really grab onto. Like in our minds, we can grasp it, but the reality of it, to live it, is something that is much harder uh, uh, to, to grab onto. And this has been the whole premise of this series. The word careful means anxious or anxiety. And so Paul is saying, don't be anxious over anything. And we've pondered that idea and that thought. How in the world is it possible? Is Paul living in reality? Not to be anxious or have anxiety in your life over anything. Well, the fact of the matter is that God doesn't want his people living with fret. He wants less fret and more faith. And anxiety is a real issue in, in our world. And Anxiety is a real uh, issue that, that even the devil will use in people's lives to keep them discouraged, to keep them from understanding that they can have so much more in this Christian life with the Lord's help. And anxiety is a killer. And anxiety is a killer of the joy that we ought to have in the Lord. We talked about how anxiety is a meteor shower of what-ifs. We live in a what-if world. What if this happens? And what if that happens? And all of the bad and all of the negative just keeps flooding into our soul and our mind, and it paralyzes Anxiety is related to fear. They're close cousins. Where anxiety or where fear, legitimate fear, sees an actual threat, anxiety always imagines one. Not necessarily something true, but something that might be. And it causes us to live in such a way where we're not at peace and we don't experience the joy the Lord wants us to have. Anxiety will steal your sense of well-being and a host of other things. And so Paul lays out for us how the child of God can live with and know the peace of God. It's a peace the world doesn't understand. It's a peace the world can't have outside of Jesus Christ. It's the kind of peace that's permanent, not temporary. And that's where the Lord wants us to live. We said there were six verses here and four admonitions that lead to this wonderful promise the peace of God calm in the soul the peace of God that keeps and guards our hearts and our minds we started with verse 4 rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice we said this was celebrating god's goodness rejoice in the lord Always and again, I say rejoice. What is there to rejoice in the Lord about? We said that we rejoice in the Lord that He is actually sovereign, that He is in control, that He is uh, that His hands are all over this world and all over creation and all over the circumstances of your life. He actually is in control. We can rejoice in that. We rejoice in the fact that He's gracious and merciful that He doesn't give us exactly what we deserve, and He gives us all the things we don't deserve. We can rejoice in the goodness of God toward us in that sense, and then we rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. And we can rejoice always because God is very active in our life. And because He is active in our lives That leads us to the next verses, our text verses, for the next couple of messages, which is verses 5 through 7. And it leads us to these verses in the next admonition that also helps lead to this wonderful promise. And the admonition is, ask God for help. The first is rejoice in the Lord, celebrate God's goodness. But secondly, ask God for help. Verse 5 says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So we're going to spend some time today and next week, Lord willing, on verses 5 through 7. And the second admonition is asking God, for help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd encourage us today with these truths. Help us to see your word and and then, Lord, to be able to experience it and live it, to trust you and to prove you, to test you. And Lord, you'll always prove yourself faithful. Bless your people today. Bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, we're focusing in on this phrase, verse 6, be careful for nothing. That's the whole premise. Don't be anxious over anything. And when we read this verse and we get past that and we say we find that we're to let our requests be made known unto God, what we can't forget or what we can't miss is that when we read verse 6, it's actually in the context of verse 5. And so we've got to go back to verse 5 in order to really fully understand this. Another thing that we also need to remember here is that Paul was writing a letter. There weren't chapter and verse divisions when Paul was writing to the the people of Philippi. Um, This was a letter, a personal letter that he was writing. There aren't these divisions. And so as we read verse six and we focus in on Paul's statement to not be anxious over anything, we have to hold it in its context, and the context is verses 5 through 7. And there are two principles we're going to pull out of this. We won't get through all of it today, but there are two principles that we're going to pull out of this, and that we're going to explore. The principles are, number one, anxiety is unnecessary in our life because the Lord is near. The second principle is this, is that peace happens when people pray. And there, in, in these two, three verses are these two principles. What we're going to focus in on today is anxiety is unnecessary because the Lord is right there. Now, as I studied this, I have to confess something to you. I realized that I had never seen these verses connected like this before, like I'm going to show you. And sometimes that happens when there are words that, are, that we read on a page that we think mean one thing, but they actually mean something different. <laughs> and so we don't get the full meaning or what is being said there. I mean, we use words today in a particular way that mean a particular thing to us right now, but sometimes the meaning of that word has changed over time. You understand what I'm saying? Well, that's sort of the case here because... I mentioned that because verse 5 is really the, the, the key here. It's the linchpin. And verse 5 says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. I always had a, a problem with that. Like, like, how does that relate? How does that connect to be careful or anxious over nothing? Well, I started looking at what the word moderation means. Let your moderation be known unto all men. And when we use the word moderation we think something like avoidance of excess or avoidance of extremes, like everything in moderation. You understand what I'm talking about? That's kind of how we think when when we use that word. And it sort of has that connotation to it, but the meaning of the word that is translated as moderation here actually means gentleness. And I was like, wait, what? It means gentleness? So now I needed to start digging into this and figuring out what exactly Paul is saying here. And what he is describing is a temperament that is seasoned and mature. It envisions an attitude that is fitting for an occasion. It envisions someone who is level-headed, someone who is tempered. It envisions the gentle reaction of someone, a gentle reaction of steadiness even-handedness, or fairness. And it's, it's talking about or, or, or describes one who looks reasonably at the facts of a case and then responds in the same manner. It's the opposite of an overreaction. It's the opposite of a sense of panic or anxiousness. And I was like, Whoa! All of a sudden, that meant so much more to me and so different to me. So he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. This gentleness, composure is what Paul is actually describing here. Now, he says this gentleness or this composure is to be evidenced to all. He says, let your moderation or your composure or your gentleness be known unto all men. This composure is to be evidence to all. So that means family members would take note of it. It means your friends sense a difference in you. It means that fellow church members and even co-workers benefit from this level-headedness, this composure, this gentleness. Others may be freaking out. Others may be running out, but the moderate or gentle person is sober minded and clear thinking. It also carries the meaning of, of like a contagious type of calm. In other words, somebody who is who's moderate, somebody who's gentle, who's composed, has an influence that is calming to other people. Now think about, I mean, are you with me? Are you following this here? All of a sudden, truth is starting to be unlocked and exposed here. And so he's talking about this composure or this contagious calm. And listen, the contagiously calm person is the one who is, who is there for the hurting. The contagiously calm person is the one who is there for the anxious. The contagiously calm person is the one who reminds others that it's okay, God is in control. So let me make an application. Because we think about this and we say gentleness. We talk about composure, especially in a chaotic world, especially when there's turmoil and and drama and tragedy and all kinds of other things in life. How is it that we come by this? How is it that we obtain this gentleness or this composure? how can we keep our heads when everybody else is losing theirs well paul tells us exactly how in the last part of verse five he says let your moderation be known unto all men and here's the key the lord is at hand the lord is at hand you know what that means it means the lord is near it means the Lord is right here. It's not talking about something in the future. It's talking about a present presence. He's right here. And because he's right here, I don't have to be anxious over anything you get that? Do you feel that? Do you grab that? That is truth. That should bring calm to the soul. How many of you think of it like that? A composure, a gentleness, a confidence, a calmness that even other people can know and see. And here's why, because I know the Lord is right here, just as real as my very next breath. That's where the Lord is. And I'm safe in Him. I'm safe in Him. You remember when you were a kid and you stood next to your dad? When there was a scary thing going on or a scary situation, what did you do? man my dad's right there and to... i'm clinging to his leg why because i know i'm safe with him because he's right there that's what this is talking about and because he's right there i don't have to be anxious over anything paul tells us there's no need for that because the lord is near the Lord is near. Let's just think about that for a second. Because that needs to become very real. In trouble, in trial, it needs to become very real that you are not alone. You are not alone. He is very active in your life. You might feel like you're alone. You might think that you're alone, but there is never a moment in which you face life without help. God is near. God repeatedly pledges His presence to His people in the Word of God. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Who said that? The one in whom it is impossible for Him to lie. Hebrews 13.6 then says, If this is true, If he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, if that is true, then we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what men will do unto me or can do unto me. I don't have to be anxious over that. remember Abraham? Genesis 15, in verse 1, the Bible says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, here's what God said, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield, I am thy exceeding great reward. God promised protection in his presence to Abraham. When Isaac Isaac was expelled from his land by the Philistines, he was forced to move from place to place. God appeared to Isaac and he reminded him, And he said in Genesis 26 and verse 24, the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, I am with thee. I will bless thee. All of those are present tense. After Moses died, Joshua felt maybe a little inadequate or inferior And God told Joshua in Joshua 1, 9, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. I don't see any anxiousness in there. I don't see any fear in there. Why? Because the Lord is there. You say, Pastor, well, those are specific people. Those were like real servants of God. I don't don't feel like I deserve that kind of comfort. But listen, let me tell you something. God was with Jacob in spite of all of his conniving. God was with David in spite of his failures in life. God was with Elijah in spite of the fact that he lacked faith at times in his life. There's a reason why his name is Emmanuel. It means God with us for a reason. And you know what he is still with us it wasn't just those specific people he's with you he's with me he's with us in spirit in his holy spirit to give comfort to teach to convict to guide and what i'm saying to you is this don't assume that god is watching your life from a distance god is right here this is where we need to think of it he's right by our side And when people get off track and they stop thinking clearly, they fall into the quicksand of lies that says something like this. Well, no one understands me, and no one understands my situation, and you don't know what I'm going through. Therefore, you can't be of any comfort to me. What's missing? What's missing? The fact that the Lord is right here is missing. The fact that he knows you in and out, the fact that he is active in your life, the fact that you are not alone at any point in time, the fact that he is the one, and the only one who actually can fix you. People fall into that quicksand. And they start believing those lies that no one understands the situation. And when they believe that, then all of a sudden the problems start to get amplified and they become bigger. And it comes with it a sense of loneliness and a sense of hopelessness because no one understands and no one is there and I don't have anything. And this, this, it turns into this sense of, of, of loneliness and hopelessness and, and isolation uh, starts to creep in. And listen, isolation creates this downward cycle of continual fret and continual anxiety. And what the Word of God tells us Instead of living in a place of anxiousness or a place of anxiety, a place of loneliness, a place of despair, choose instead to be the person who holds tightly to the promise and the presence of God with both hands because He's right here. I have no reason to fear because the Lord is here. And then, calmly, Take those concerns to Him. Because He is as near as my next breath is, I can talk to Him. He's right here. You following that? Say, well, you're kind of belaboring the point. Good. needs to sink in. We don't respond the way that we could, and we don't experience all that we could in the Lord because we don't respond in the way that we should. But you know what? The disciples of the Lord, they really weren't any different than us in this sense. They often responded to the Lord just like we do. Imagine that, right? I'm going to give you an example. Turn over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. This may mean more more to me than it does to you, I don't know. But we're preaching it anyway. Because it's good. In John chapter 6, in verse 5, the Bible says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, He saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, what's happening here is going to be the feeding of what is called the five thousand. Okay. And John is describing it here, and he says that Jesus looked up and he saw a great company coming to him. Now, when John describes this gathering coming to Jesus as a great company, he wasn't kidding. He was serious. Matthew chapter 14 tells us that there were 5,000 men plus women and children. There could have been upwards of 20,000 people that were coming to the Lord. And just, you can imagine, just imagine a, a baseball stadium full of people. And that'll give you the picture of what is happening here. It's a great company. It's a multitude of people. And the Bible says that Jesus wanted to feed the entire crowd, possibly up to 20,000 people. Jesus says, I want to feed them all. Now, imagine being one of the disciples. I mean, we can read about how they responded. The disciples, on the other hand, only wanted to get rid of the crowd. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 15 says, and when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. So the disciples say, hey, send them all away uh, so they, they can go find themselves something to eat. Now, We can't read tone, necessarily, in words on a page, but I kind of wonder if there was a bit of anxiousness in their voice. I kind of wonder if maybe the tone was a little bit aggravated. Lord, send them away. The time has passed. We've had them all day long. You ever felt like that? You can't do that with your kids, okay? There might have been a little bit of aggravation in their voice. And then Jesus says... In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 16, But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. Imagine that statement. So you're one of the disciples. There's 20 plus thousand people here. The day is far spent. You say, Lord, just send them away so they can go get something to eat. And then Jesus says, no, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Wait, what? Right? That's kind of what was taking place here. The disciples' response to the Lord is actually pretty typical of the way that we would often respond in an unsettling situation. What was their response? Well, back in John, if you're there, in John 6 and verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. What was the response of Philip here? Um, Lord, that's impossible. That's 20,000 people. We've got 200 penny worth. That's not even enough for some of them or all of them to even take just a little. That's impossible. We don't nearly have enough of what we need. This is too big, Lord, and they are too many, and it's too overwhelming. That's essentially what the response is like. And I'm telling you, that is often how we respond to the Lord as well. Now, we might say they had some reason to feel unsettled. Maybe even a little bit confused because Jesus just said, you give them something to eat. And that might be true if all they were doing was looking at the circumstances. But here's the truth, friends, and here's the truth of the matter. The truth is, they should have had more reason to feel at peace in this moment than unsettled in this moment. You say, well, how's that, pastor? Well, let me just give you a little bit of what they've already experienced with the Lord. In their experience with the Lord, at this point, they had already seen Jesus do a multitude of things. In Matthew chapter 8, they saw Jesus heal leprosy. In Matthew chapter 8 as well, in verse 13, they saw Jesus heal the centurion's servant without ever even going to his bedside. He just spoke a word. Also in Matthew chapter 8, In verse 15, they saw Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law from a sickness that probably would have killed her. Also in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26, they saw Jesus calm the violent raging sea, the same one that they thought that they were going to die in. Lord, don't you care that we're about to perish? How can you sleep? And they saw Jesus come out and say, Peace, be still, and... The waves stopped and it was glassy calm. They saw Jesus do that. They saw Jesus heal the man who had been paralyzed in Matthew chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. They saw Jesus heal the woman that was diseased with an issue of blood. She'd been sick for 12 years in Matthew 9 and verse 22. They saw Jesus raise a girl from the dead, Matthew 9 and verse 25. They saw Jesus cast out demons in Mark chapter 1 in verse 25. They saw Jesus cast the demons out of the maniac of Gadara and change him so that he was clothed and sitting in his right mind in Mark chapter 5 in verse 15. And friends, the list goes on and on. They saw all of these things before the feeding of the 5,000 ever happened. This is what they had already experienced with Jesus. So, when it came to this impossible, mountainous problem, did any of them pause long enough to think, well, hmm, Jesus did all of these other impossible things. I wonder... Does he have a solution here that I haven't thought of? I mean, after all, he's right here. Maybe I should go ask him. Are you following that? It didn't occur to any of them at the moment to simply ask Jesus for help. Jesus said, you give him something to eat. Well, that's impossible, but it's not impossible for you. Why didn't they do that? Why did they act like all of these other things hadn't happened? Why did they act like Jesus wasn't even present or that Jesus couldn't do anything about it? And understand this. They had the audacity to tell the creator of the universe that nothing could be done because we don't have enough money. That's what they said. I wonder, if, I wonder if Jesus stood back and snickered a little on the inside. I wonder if he wanted to ask them, have you forgotten what you've witnessed and what you've seen? Have you forgotten who I am? Well, you, you know the rest of the story. Jesus had all of these multitudes of people sit down in groups. And a boy with five small loaves and two fishes gave his lunch. And Jesus took that little tiny bit in comparison and he blessed it and he multiplied it over and over and over and over again. to the point that there were 12 baskets full left over. And I'm telling you, do a little study. Those weren't 12 little wicker baskets left over. It was a mountain left over. What's the application? Why did I give this example? Because we have a lesson to learn. And the lesson that we need to learn is this. Anxiety is needless in our life. Because Jesus is near. You aren't facing thousands of hungry bellies, but you are facing your own problems. Do you look at the things you face in life and say, there's no way? On one hand, you've got your problems. On the other hand, you've got limited quantities of wisdom, limited quantities of energy and resources, and limited patience and limited time. What you have to deal with the problem is nowhere near what you need. You feel like you've got this thimble full when what you need is a bucket full. Well, what happens? when we start looking at things like that. We start to get anxious. And we start to get fearful. And we start to become doubting and faithless. And listen, what I'm saying is when this happens, instead of starting with what you have, which is very small, start with Jesus instead. Start with His wealth. Start with His resources. Start with His strength which all of that is limitless, by the way. There is no limit to any of that with the Lord. There's no need for anxiety over issues and problems because my Lord is right here and He has untold wealth and untold energy and untold resources and untold patience and untold power to deal with whatever the issue is. There's no need for anxiety because the Lord is there. And then when we come to Him with the burden and ask Him for help, that's where we're at here, let your request be made known unto God, and ask Him for help, He's going to answer. I don't know how the Lord will do it. your problem immediately. I don't know. He might hold on and use it to teach you more patience in your life. I don't exactly know, but I know this much is sure. The Bible says that the Lord is right here. Therefore, be anxious for nothing. The calm comes to the degree that we turn to Him. You following that? I think that this is revolutionary for a lot of people. Because you haven't been operating there. Not at all. Verse 5 tells us, The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Verse 6 then says, Be anxious for nothing. But then verse 6 goes on to say, But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your request be made known unto God. And next time, we're going to look at verses 6 and 7, and we're going to consider this thought that peace happens when people pray. The Lord is near. There's no need for anxiety. And peace happens when people pray. Does that make sense? That ought to comfort the heart. We have the tools. Amen? Let's not live in worry or fear or fret or anxiety, but instead let's grab hold of the fact that the Lord is active in my life. He's right here and I can just turn to him and ask him for help. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate that God is good. Ask him for help because he's right there and peace is going to come. That's how we find calm in a chaotic world and we'll keep going through these verses, to get through all of these. And I'm prayerful and hopeful that it's a challenge, but also a help to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for today. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, as You have spoken to hearts today, may there be a sweet and a tender response. In Jesus' name, Amen.